Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, October the nineteenth edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Kyle Smith, formerly of the AFC East Bros podcast, joins us to talk Dolphins, Jets. He is my go-to source for all things Jets, and he will give us an inside look at the Jets' recent games and what we can expect from them on Sunday. And we will both give you our predictions from that game after we wrap the interview up. But I'm not going to do anything else because we're going to get a good length interview out of Kyle. So that'll be the only segment for today. But first, before we get into that, guys, I have to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, or wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and drop us a five-star rating and review. Subscriptions, ratings, reviews, those are how podcasters are judged. The more we get, the higher up the iTunes chart we go, the more it exposes us to more Dolphins. You guys know the drill by now. Also, the NBA season just kicked off last night, or tipped off, I should say. So don't forget to check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts, including the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. And check out the website, LockdownDolphins.com. There are tons of pieces coming up every day. The Adam Gaze paradigm, Miami Dolphins defense built in a day, Leonte Carew's story, Charles Harris story, tons and tons of good stuff. I'll, I'm working on a William Hayes one right now as well. So that interesting guy that can stuff the run, he'll have a piece of his own coming up here very shortly. So check all that stuff out. And let's go ahead and get the reads out of the way before I get Kyle in here so we can get that jump started here real quick. Talk about ProFootballFocus.com. PFF is giving away a free PFF Edge subscription, one per show per week. A $40 value is the premier site in NFL player grades, snap counts, positional ranks, all that good stuff for you fantasy guys. They have projections, rankings, tools, all kinds of different charts. For you NFL draft nicks, they have NFL draft coverage with PFF profiles and college stats. Very, very good stuff there. Team and player pages featuring PFF stats, the Miami Dolphins page, as well as PFF underscore MIA or at PFF MIA is a great follow on Twitter. Check them out to get yourself a chance to win this, this uh, $40 value, the PFF edge subscription, go on to iTunes, leave a review, a review for the podcast, include your Twitter handle in the review, and we'll choose a winner each week. That's profootballfocus.com. And then, of course, mybookie.ag, the sponsor of this podcast, the title sponsor of the podcast on Mondays and Thursdays. You know, I do a lot of college betting and some on the NFL here and there, too. But whatever someone asks me who I got in the game, the thing I always tell them is what's most important, even over who you're betting, is what you're betting through. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses. So off the bat, you're making money for doing absolutely nothing. And they have the fastest payouts. It's just two days. You cannot beat that in the industry. Lay some cash down. Win big today. 
That's mybookie.ag. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile website that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Join now, and mybookie will match your deposit with up to 100% bonus. Use promo code Locked On to activate that offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. We're going to go ahead and bring Kyle on here in just a minute. All right, we're going to go ahead and bring in Kyle Smith here in just a minute. And before we do that, let me talk to you guys about what he is a little bit. He, I met Kyle through the AFC East Bros podcast last year before the season started. We kind of, I emailed him, asked him if I could uh, come on the show once before I got into this whole podcasting. And and I was writing before, but never really did podcasting. And asked him if I'd come on the show. And we talked and we got along. And him and his brother Gary did a great job with that podcast, having live callers. It was a lot of fun to do. They can't do it anymore. They have uh, family you know, commitments and issues they have to, to put first in front of the podcast. So understandable there. But I'm really thrilled to have Kyle Smith to go ahead and preview this game between the Dolphins and Jets. If you want to follow him on Twitter, that's at AFC East Bros. It is Kyle Smith. And let's get him on. And we are joined now by Kyle Smith, formerly of the AFC East Bros. He is at AFC East Bros on Twitter. Kyle, how's it going, man? Pretty good, Travis. How about yourself? Not too bad. I think that this game, it's it's both teams have taken uh, strange paths to get to where we are right now. But I think that we're kind of almost well for the Dolph from the Dolphins' perspective, we're in the same position that we were in the last time we played the Jets. In the sense that, like, it's the season's kind of on the upswing and people are excited about it. And the Jets now coming off of you know, a loss to the Patriots, but coming off of three wins in a row prior to that, you guys are in a bit of a different spot now as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we came into that game against you, we had two terrible losses back-to-back, got blown out in Buffalo. I know it was only a nine-point game, but it was really a lot worse than that. And then losing by 25 to the Raiders on the road, you know, all those 0-16 predictions looked like they might be legit at that point. But then you guys gave some of us a glimmer of hope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can't say that I'm as optimistic as some of those other Jets fans, to be honest, because you know as well as I do how bad Cutler was in that game, constantly throwing off his back foot, not putting his body into it. Um, you know, and then we had Blake Bortles the following week, and the Jags did everything possible to throw that game, getting penalties late in the game. Bortles, another bad quarterback, couldn't even throw a spiral in that game. And then you go to Cleveland, Deshaun Kaiser, I mean, just everything was confusing that kid. He was late with everything. Uh, didn't recognize, you know, simple. The Jets would look like they're blitzing the house and they drop eight in coverage. Kaiser has no idea where to go. They put Kevin Hogan in and, well, although he gave them a spark, he's still Kevin Hogan. I mean, you've had three really bad quarterbacks back to back to back and you got three wins off of it. It's nice Some to hear Jets- you. So, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's nice to hear you have that perspective because I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're about to say some Jets fans kind of feel that this team may be on the, on the rise with the current roster. I know that you know that's not necessarily the case. And while the defense might be a pretty good unit, you know, there's still a ways to go, and especially the quarterback position. And we all know the best way to go ahead and address that is to, is to be a bad team and, and address it via the draft with a high draft pick. Now you can, you know, make your moves later on. And we'll get to that more in a second here, Kyle. And I'm glad you brought up Kaiser as well, because that, that guy uh, on my third and 10 website, my quarterback grading site, he is by far in the bottom of the league and as far as Jay Cutler goes uh, he's not much much higher than that 
and it hasn't gotten much better for him. So, um, but before we get into the offense and the, and the Jets and the tanking and all that good stuff, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was the Dolphin defense, actually. And the last time these teams played, you know, Brandon Shell had no answer for Cam Wake. It was constant pressure. I believe he had a sack and a half or two sacks in that game. How did the Jets mitigate the pressure the Dolphins get? And something they've kind of made a staple of their defense is, is flooding the weak side of the formation with pressure. So how do the Jets deal with that? How do they help Brandon Shell? And how does Josh McCown get the ball out fast enough? I don't know that there's a great way to deal with that. Uh, honestly, but I think you got to keep it to, you know, West coast three and five step drops. He needs to get that ball out quick. And if you look at like, you know, I know that you work with pro football focus now and you're constantly, you know, plugging their memberships and stuff. You know, they say that McCown is one of the tops in the league in terms of snap to getting the ball out with like, you know, 2.4 seconds, something like that. He's, he's one of the quickest and that's what they need to continue to do in this game. Um, you cannot take those seven step drops and, you know, or he cannot hold the ball like Aaron Rodgers and continue to make something happen because uh, Cameron Wake is going to get there. It's just a fact of the matter. I don't think that Brandon Shell, you know, going back to that that matchup um, in December last season, I thought that you know Cameron Wake was just going to tear Shell up because Shell was so bad in that preseason. I had no faith in him, and I just love Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake is so good. But if you look back to this first matchup they had, week three, you know, Shell he drops back in pass protection. He looks to like you know catch Wake with like the hug technique. And one thing about that is if you if you try to hug somebody, you know, it can work if you get like a perfect punch and grab their shoulder pads. But the problem is you always are susceptible to like the bull rush. And, and Cam Wake is, you know, really, really good at, at using his power in that regard. And he he really puts Shell on skates when he, he gives. I always like to think of Cam Wake's move as like the bull to rip. That's what I like to call it yeah. because, you know, he rushes in so violently uh, with the bowl, leans with his head oftentimes, and then he goes straight to that rip. And that's how he beat uh, Shell on that first one. He was really more so the power that he got him with. You know, and Shell, I guess, was kind of more uh, weary of that a little bit later on in that game. So he tried to, like, you know, establish his anchor by continuing to drive his feet back. Um, but then Cam Wake just kind of, you know, ran around him, ran the arc, and used a little bit less power the second sack around uh, and just kind of ran around him. So, like, you know, Cam Wake, you know, he doesn't – he pretty much uses that same move all the time. But he kind of like – within that one game, I kind of saw him using some nuance off it. You know, the first time, you know, hitting with power early on and the second time kind of like, you know, using more of the finesse side of it. And that's the amazing thing about Cam Wake is he doesn't have a whole lot of art, uh, moves in his arsenal. But he's just so damn physically gifted that it's amazing that at 35, 36 years old, however old he is – He's still winning with so much power rather than technique, even though he, he does win with technique too, which, you know, I hopefully I laid out too. So anyway, um, you know, Shell, if you're a Jets fan, you gotta be concerned with this matchup. And if you're John Morton, the Jets offensive coordinator, you know, one of the main principles of the West Coast offense is getting that ball out quick. You need to find ways to do that quick. Um so yeah, stay away from those seven-step drops because Cam Wake is going to get there. It's just a matter of how quick can he get there. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Dolphins have actually featured a couple of new uh, proponents of the pass rush, and that that's rookie Charles Harris is really getting it done right now too. After the game with the Jets, he's had five pressures in each of the last three games, so he's coming along nicely as well. And you mentioned Cam Wake's technique and some different things he's doing, and and he's actually playing the run better than he did he has for the last couple of years too. And I think a lot of that has to do with some of the 
the, like I mentioned, that pressure they bring off that weak side, and he's doing a lot of inside slanting and, and not really a stunting, but just kind of slanting their their uh, their get offs with him and Sue next to each other, and then overloading pressure on that side too. So I think that Matt Burke, rookie defensive coordinator, has done a great job of getting these guys in position to win. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that this week. But uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about, Kyle, was when the Jets put the Dolphins last time, for, what I saw was third down conversions that were just a killer. And then that big ball did the did the Dolphins in on defense, the one to Robbie Anderson. But I don't think that happens this time, especially with Maxwell out and Altron Werner pretty much being one and done after that big play he allowed. And the rookie, Cordray Tankersley, comes in. He's been playing very well. So... If Anderson's, you know, he's banged up, obviously. I don't know I don't know if he's going to play. You can answer that as well. Um, you know, the Jets go to Jermaine Curse as well and, and the running game. And, you know, I, I was curious, who's the next option if they're not going to be able to hit that deep ball with Anderson in the passing game? I mean, our Darius Stewart is the first name that comes to mind. And he's not, I mean, he's not a fast player, but he's not a slow player by any stretch. He's a four four nine guy. And you're starting to see him as the weeks go by get more and more reps. But... He's a very limited receiver in his route tree, and obviously Robbie Anderson is too. You know, you only run a couple of routes with him. But um, I wouldn't say that that's one of Ardarius' stronger routes at this point, running vertical routes. So I don't think that the Jets are going to try to stretch the Dolphins vertically all that much anyway. Um, and honestly, I wasn't even sure. I didn't even know the news about Robbie not playing. But that's a big loss for the Jets, though, because he's really their only um, vertical downfield threat. Um, you know, Curse is an underneath guy. Curly's certainly an underneath guy. You don't have Quincy and Nunwa this year. So really, when you when you lose Robbie, you, you kind of lose a different dimension to your offense. And obviously, as you said, that was a game changer in that game. But look for our Darius Stewart to get some more reps. And I would say look for the Jets to try to find more creative ways because you you lose that creative or you lose that downfield threat element. Get creative. You, you might see some more. Um, some end around sweeps with our Darius Stewart and things like that. Maybe like a flea flicker off of that. Maybe you might even see him try to throw the ball. He did from time to time in college at Alabama, he, they would give him the ball for him to throw a pass. And it's not like he was good at it or anything, but you know, when you're down a couple, I mean, the jets don't have a great receiving court to begin with, but when you're down a couple, you know, players, you got to find creative ways to try to create offense. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw something like that, but, um, you know, our Darius, he's really, I like to think of him and this, I think I'm the guy who kind of coined this as a homeless man's Jarvis Landry, because <laughs> not only is he not as good as Jarvis Landry, but he doesn't do a single thing as good as Jarvis Landry. He doesn't have as good as hands. He's not as good after the catch. Um, you know, he's certainly not the anywhere close to the rap runner that Jarvis Landry is, but he's that similar type of player where, you know, you give him the ball. And, you know, he can create things in space, and he's not that big, though. But he plays with a lot of tenacity. So uh, look to see him get some more reps, but I, I doubt you'd see the Jets try to throw a lot of vertical routes downfield to him. Going back to Robbie, looking at the injury report, it looks like he was just a did not, a did not practice the last two days. So we'll see what happens with him. I don't. I just. I think I saw that he got hurt on the very last play of the game against the Patriots when uh, McCown tried to make that fourth down miracle happen for you guys. But so he's he's a DNP for the last couple of days. But let's go over to the other side of the ball now and talk about what I saw on tape from the Jets in that first meeting. And that was a lot of attacking the A gaps with run blitzes, and it really affected the way the Dolphins handled their running their run game and the interior offensive line had no answer it disrupted the mesh point for the outside zone scheme the Dolphins run and I'll be curious to see if they pull out maybe some gap scheme plays this week so they kind of ran a little bit of that last week with some more man blocking and I was just curious to ask you has this been a common theme with the Jets this year with the Mario Davis and Darren Lee getting in their run fits and, and playing good ball over there 
I would say so. Yeah. I mean, DeMar Davis has always been like a, a good blitzing linebacker. And even Lee, like if you give him a certain gap to attack where he doesn't have to think, that's when he's at his best. The problem with him is like when he has to kind of like process and he's responsible for two different gaps. You know, he's not that type of processor. So, um, but in terms of the Dolphins and would they go to more man or gap schemes? I don't know. I mean, I kind of think that that's not their bread and butter and that would be uh, a foolish move for them. And I say that because, you know, when you think of Alex Gibbs, who really like he's one of the pioneers of zone blocking and, you know, most of the coaches around the league that have learned anything, they go to him as, you know, kind of to teach them lessons on it. And I was watching a film session with him once and he was talking about how, there's not that many teams across the league that run it. And he was with the Falcons at this point in time when they had Michael Vick and Warwick Dunn. And, you know, he was talking about how a lot of teams try to sprinkle, you know, the way that we run the zone stretch gun in, but they don't do it as well as we do. And he says, the reason that that is, is because, you know, they just don't have enough time to practice it. They're running man and gap schemes and, you know, they're, they're trying to sprinkle in a little bit of what we do too, but you just don't have enough time to practice it. And with zone blocking, you need repetition upon repetition upon repetition to really perfect, you know, um, the, the proper spacing and when to pass off a guy and when to, you know, come off to the three technique, give your guard a little bit of help. And then for the center to go back and wall off the, the nose tackle. I mean, it takes a lot of practice. And, you know, what? I try to, like, you know, draw on my playing experiences from like when I was in high school and college. And I we, we played this one team, Morris Knoll, and they were an option team. And we ran a little bit of option when we, were, when we were in high school, but we sprinkled it in with a bunch of other stuff that we were doing. But this team, all they did was run stuff off the option look, kind of like Georgia Tech. And man, they were good at it. Like I, when I tell you, I was sitting there and I was a sophomore at the time. My brother Gary was actually a senior playing. You'd think that the quarterback handed the ball off to this one guy or pitched out to this other guy, and you're looking at him, and all of a sudden, on the other side of the field, the guy's running in the end zone untouched. And they, they were so good at, at making this look, you know, like deceptive because they practiced it all the time. They had just a couple plays in the playbook, and they practiced it over and over and over again. So why am I saying all this? I mean, the Dolphins' bread and butter is zone blocking. JHIE has always been a zone runner. Um, the Dolphins showed it last year that they were really effective at doing it. So I think you should stick with something you're good at. And all the more reason I say that is because the Jets, if you look at when they really got gashed this year, it was against running uh, against zone running teams. Like the Buffalo Bills probably ran 20 something outside zone plays in that game and maybe another 11 to 12 inside zone plays on that game. The Jets got absolutely gashed, whether it was Shady or Mike Tolbert. But, however, the Jets were a little stronger in run defense when they went against the Jags. More of a man-gap scheme. Same thing with um, the Patriots last week. More of a man-gap team. You know, the Jets were much more stout against the runs against those teams. So I think if you're the Dolphins, stick with what you know what works, but just figure out how to block it better. Learn from your previous mistakes. That's a really good point about, you know, what has worked against the Jets and what has not. And I just want to go back on your option, your take there. And, and I mean, I, I imagine for someone that plays defensive line in the, in the trenches that – having to react to all that misdirection, it really takes away from what you want to do best, and that's rush the passer, obviously. And, and you know, if you're focused on different things, going different directions and misdirection, all that stuff, it probably gets in your head. And you go back to that, you talk about continuity and the repetition of practicing it over and over again. And I think that was kind of Adam Gaze's uh, message this, this summer and this spring was talking about bringing back the same guys and developing that same continuity. And that's why you and I had talked about Jermon Bushrod, and I was right with you saying how poor Bushrod played last year 
but how I understood him coming back as a potential sixth swing lineman or maybe even the fifth, like the last starter that you plug in there, just because of that continuity and the ability to, to work together again. And it hasn't worked out that way. And another thing, that, a reason it hasn't worked out is the Dolphins, for as long as I can remember, even going back to Samson Satelle days before you know we went on to the, the other center and then bringing Mike Pouncey in after that, was that they struggle with guy, with teams that have a lot of that beef inside. When you guys had Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson, Leonard Williams, and all those guys that can rush from different areas, and they can, and and Damon Harrison too, snacks, you know, clogging up the big holes. He he has a really hard time with powerful defensive tackles. So for him to you know not be able to to move those guys, it's a problem, and that's why I think they had so much success against the Falcons because they're more of a speed and, and finesse defense. And I you know finesse is a a bad word in football, but they're more of a speed defense, and that's why they had more success. So I'm just kind of curious to see how they're going to mitigate that because last year in the games with the Jets, Ajayi didn't have much success. He did have 100 yards in the first game, but that was more of a fourth quarter milk in the clock, and the Jets just kind of were worn down at that point and <laughs> tired of Ryan Fitzpatrick turning the ball over at that point. So I think that he he's... Did have, he did have the 120-yard touchdown, which came really early on in the game. It might have been the Dolphins' first drive. Yeah, it was. It, that was in response. Then after that, it was, and even on that drive, though, if you recall, he had a bunch of negative runs, and then the Jets just yes. kept on committing penalties that gave the Dolphins' first down. So, But that, that was a nice run. But just in general... You know, I talked about it on the podcast yesterday, actually, talking about how the good teams aren't the ones that, you know, do the Barry Sanders where it's two yards, three yards, one yard, and then 70. It's the teams that can go 10, 12, 10, 8, 15, the, the busting out chunk gains on the ground. That's what the Dolphins, that's when they've been really good in the running game. So th- if they can't get that going against the Jets, they really lose the ability to run the ball, and then they have to lean on Jay Cutler, and we all know how that goes. But Yeah, you know, I think you made a great point. I was actually listening to your podcast. By the way, Dolphins fans, if you're not listening to every episode that Travis puts out, what are you doing, man? Because I'm a Jets fan listening to this stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was thinking about that point that you made, and I was like, you know, I never really thought about it like that. But, like, think about it like this. You know, if you're losing three yards on a given play, all of a sudden you run it on first down, It's now it's second and 13. You know, you're limiting, you know, what plays you can call from now on. Whereas if you only gain two, three yards on first down, all of a sudden – it's second and seven, all of a, you know, you can run a, a bunch more different plays. So like when you're constantly getting behind the chains like that, you know, it, it really limits, you know, the amount of plays that you can call. So I think that's a, a really good point. Obviously, yes, 70 yard touchdowns are game changers, but right. you know, I think that people do kind of, you know, they, they look too much at what was his total yards rather than, yeah. you know, but how many did he lose on a given play and how did that affect the down and distance? Anyway, the reason that I, I brought that up, and I, I'm we're going on a tangent here, but I'm totally happy about it because it's good stuff. But I, I was watching NFL primetime late the other night and, and Trey Wingo was just imploring the Falcons to keep on running the ball. And what I mean, he's looking at these raw stats. And I imagine he didn't watch the game. He's just going off the box score. But if you watch the game, the Dolphins are constantly putting the Falcons in second and eleven, second and twelve, second and ten. And if they're doing that, you're not you can't run the ball anymore. Like you mentioned, it's you know getting behind the sticks. You have to start putting it up. So I just think that you know when the Dolphins when when they're at their best. JHI is giving them a couple of first downs on those big drives where he's got the 10, 12 yard run that, you know, moves the change and, and keeps the defense like, well, crap, we can't prevent them from getting 10 yards on a first down. We have no shot. So he, he can be demoralizing in that sense. And that's what Dolphins haven't been able to do against the Jets. That's why I think the offense has struggled up until that game late last year when the Jets were just kind of a tire fire. But um, let's move on here, Kyle, and talk about these two individuals that I want to talk to you about. And this actually segues well into the Jets' defensive line. And one's a positive player, one's a negative player. We'll start with the negative guy, and that's Muhammad Wilkerson. And I've seen you and Joe Blewett, my other favorite Jets fan on Twitter, <laughs> blowing this guy up. And explain to me what's going on with that guy. Why is he, where's his effort level at? And, and what's, just talk to me about Muhammad Wilkerson. 
it's it's one of the saddest things because you know what like you know we don't have too much things to really like hang our hat on in recent years i know that you were kind of harping on this you're tired of people talking about the 72 dolphins because you want to talk about recent success well the jets they only caught 1969 one super bowl (laughs) we haven't even been to another one so like it's it's kind of tough like when you have a good player he's a homegrown talent the kid's from linden i you know i i kid you not i had a student uh, i'm a high school teacher come up to me and said Yo, uh, my 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 cousin plays for the Jets. I was like, who's your cousin? He's like Muhammad Wilkerson. And I've had at least two other students in my time say that they're cousins with Muhammad Wilkerson. So he's right from the area in which I teach at. And uh, you know, supposedly everybody loves him in 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 New Jersey and the nearby neighboring towns and stuff. But then it's like, like, what is going on? Because apparently, and this came out last year, this dude was missing meetings going back to the Rex Ryan days and did it his first year under Todd Bowles, did it his second year under Todd Bowles. And eventually Todd Bowles kind of like put the reins on and said, all right, we're suspending you because this is unacceptable. And the thing is, is like, you know, the Jets don't have too many superstars. So maybe they were a little lax with him, you know, like, Oh, we got to treat him a little bit differently because we don't have too many superstars and let's let him slide by. But this is the, and, and shame on the Jets for not factoring that in when they were going into contract negotiations with this guy. But this is the simple case of, the guy's gotten paid, and now he doesn't care anymore. He knows he's set for life. And, you know, it, it's really unfortunate because, you know, he's thinking like, well, why, why am I going to even get myself hurt or whatever? And then he's dealing with injuries. He's got a shoulder injury. He's got a knee issue. He broke his leg at the end of the 2015 season. He's not been the same since. But he also got paid after breaking his leg. And you cannot watch him on film and tell me that he's giving good effort even though he's dealing with all those injuries, you know, and Jets fans, smart Jets fans, like my buddy Joe Blewett, who you mentioned, we've we've been on this for a long time saying, you know, listen, Muhammad Wilkerson's not good. and He's not playing with a lot of effort. And even the national guys are kind of getting on this now. Brian Baldinger, you know, tweeted out something that got hundreds of likes and stuff. Muhammad Wilkerson, this is not how you shed a double team, you know. Many times he sees the double team coming, he just flattens and goes on his stomach and hopefully, oh, <laughs> at least they won't blow me back on this play because I'm here on the ground. Yeah, but you're also not going to make a tackle from that position. But that happens over and over. If it's a pass rush, he just keeps his feet in one stagnant position. If it's a run, he's not driving his legs. He's not even moving his arms trying to swat away the offensive lineman's hands. There's just no effort there, and there's no way that you can tell me, oh, his injuries are why he's playing like that. No, he's playing like that because he just doesn't give a darn. He's gotten paid already. But the sad thing is for him, and, and it's really stupid move on him, is you know, he's got a, you know, he signed a five-year, $85 million contract. Well, the Jets don't owe him too much money beyond this current year. And he's at, if the Jets actually make him a post-June 1st cut, they're only going to have $3 million in dead cap money. So I think if, if he really keeps playing this way, I see no way he's on the Jets pass this year. That's No way. That's really crazy to talk about because, you know, going into the season this year, the whole thing was Sheldon Richardson and his effort level. And, you know, this is a team that you guys were just stacked to the position. You come into that draft when Leonard Williams is sitting there staring you guys in the face at the sixth pick of the draft, and you're thinking, well, we have – already one of the best defensive lines in the NFL and then the best player in the draft in my opinion falls into your lap and I think you have to make the pick and they go ahead and do that and now you're talking about two of your I mean once elite level players that are are suffering the same fate of like you mentioned a lack of effort it's just really crazy to see 
and hear that because I mean, if if I was to think the Jets were going to have success this year, it would have been with a pass rush with that defensive line causing havoc, and it doesn't seem like that's been the case. It's so crazy how quickly things can turn around in the NFL. You know, this was the Jets' position of strength for you know five plus years, and now it could be you know they could just be average at best. Come to think of it, next year. But um, yeah, I mean, I've always liked Sheldon better than Mo in terms of talent perspective. Sheldon's problem has been the off the field stuff. You know, if he has one more, you know, marijuana infraction, he's suspended for an entire season, <laughs> not to mention the whole, you know, gu- loaded gun doing 140 <laughs> miles an hour on the highway deal with a kid in the car. So, like, I-, I totally understood where they were coming from with getting the second round pick and getting rid of him in that regard. But now you lose Mo too. And it's like, you just got Leo now. So that's all the more reason why they should have made the pick. Just like you said. Well, and then the reason you guys are having success is on a defensive standpoint, and we talked about the linebackers a little bit, but the second guy I was going to talk to you about was Jamal Adams. Now, in that first game, I compare him to Rashad. I call him Rashad Jones light because he was all over the place doing multiple things, kind of a Jenga piece you can move around and, and do different things with. So is he still playing that well? I mean, the guy worries the hell out of me when we have Jay Cutler back there and his volatility. Is he still playing that well and ball hawking and doing his thing? It's interesting that you call him a Jenga piece. That's the first time that I've heard anybody call him that. I actually, you know, kind of coined the term, I think. Uh, I called him a, a queen piece, meaning like a queen yeah. piece on the chessboard. You can move it all the way horizontally, all the way diagonally. doesn't matter um, because you, you can really move him all over the place. Put him at weak side linebacker. Put him up as the force player. You know, put him up as an edge rusher. Blitz him off the edge. Put him as a boundary corner. You know, put him as a slot corner. Put him as a single high. Put him in a, a cover two shell look. You know, he can really do it all, and he can excel well in all those areas. However, he's come back down to earth a little bit the past couple weeks. You know, David Njoku gave him a little bit of work in that Cleveland game. He also missed a couple tackles in that Cleveland game. Kind of, you know, played a little bit of, you know, the – had some responsibility in that long Duke Johnson touchdown at the end of the Cleveland game. Um, And Rob Gronkowski, I mean, Jamal Adams made some nice plays on him. That first big pass interference call, which got the Patriots in the red zone for their first touchdown. I don't know how you can call Jamal Adams for pass interference on that. Gronk pushed off on him twice. Once he pushed right in Jamal Adams face mask and Jamal Adams looked back to the ball. You know, I could see like if he didn't locate the ball, but he did. So it was crazy to me that they threw the flag to him in that regard. But then Gronk really beat him in several other instances, too, where one time Jamal Adams straight man coverage, Gronk crosses his face. Now, Jamal Adams was dealing with like a, a corner route that kind of, you know, did a rub on him. So it was it was hard for Adams to, um, you know, kind of have great coverage on that play. But then he dives to make the pass deflection, takes a terrible angle, misses. And because he dove, he wasn't able to tackle Gronk after he caught it. So Gronk was able to, you know, have like 15 yards after the catch to run in for the touchdown. And you got to make tackles like that in the red zone. You cannot let, you know, the difference between, you know, holding someone to three points on a field goal and making them play more downs because you made that tackle versus, you know, letting him run in the end zone. That's a big difference. Now yeah. you said Rashad Jones light and I'm going to hold off on that comparison. And I know you love Rashad Jones as do I. You know, Adams might be a little bit better in terms of overall coverage. Like, I think he's better at, like, you know, flipping his hips and probably better at jamming somebody off the line of scrimmage than Rashad Jones. But in terms of tackling, I'm going to give Rashad Jones the nod, and it's not even close in this regard. Because one thing that's really pissing me off about Jamal Adams is this amount of ankle tackling that he's been doing. And you could see it on his college tape. You could see it in the preseason. Amir Abdullah, you know, catches a little swing route out of the backfield. Jamal Adams is diving for his legs. Amir Abdullah easily shakes the tackle, and he's running for a first down. Jamal Adams has been doing this 
yeah, I would say pretty much all year. And even within these past couple of games, you know, go to my Twitter feed and you could see, you know, my Jamal Adams thread, he's doing it over and over again. And, you know, some Jets fans are trying to justify that play. Like, oh, he's just really trying to make sure that he makes that tackle. I'm like, come on, really? You took this guy six overall, a safety at six overall. That better be a transcendent type of talent. And to me, a safety diving at ankles, that's not transcendent type of talent. When you dive at ankles like that, you're going to let the running back fall forward and gain three, four extra yards. Rashad Jones, he's hitting people, squaring them up and pushing them back, stopping their forward progress. And I haven't seen that with Jamal Adams yet. So I'm going to hold off on that um, Rashad Jones comparison. <laughs> yeah, that last line of defense is important to have that. I, I guess I, I mean more so as a guy that moves around all over the place and and just kind of does a lot of cool different unique things for the defense. But uh, great stuff there on, on Adams there, Kyle. And before, uh, before we get into our predictions here, one last question we talked about at the top of the show, and it's it's regarding the tank. <laughs> I think I know where you stand on this. You, you talked about it already, but I think you're right in feeling the way you do. But it seems like the tide might be shifting to desiring a playoff run over a high draft pick. I mean, what's the, the general feeling of the fan base? And then, and then tell me why you would, you know, kind of temper those, those feelings and expectations. A lot of people have definitely abandoned ship, <laughs> but I'm, I'm staying strong. I'm holding firm. You know, uh, I, I will say that, you know, in this Patriots game, I, I did get excited a lot of times when they made good plays, but I, you know, in years past, I probably would have been so livid with that Austin Safarian Jenkins, yeah. you know, touchdown turn touchback call honestly i wasn't mad about it at all because you know i was still happy with the loss and you know my my reasoning behind it is even if you can't get the top pick now getting as much losses as possible is going to better your draft position and let's say that the san francisco 49ers get the number one pick right and then they sign kirk cousins to the biggest you know contract in football history they're not going to then use that number one overall pick to draft a quarterback. That pick can be trade bait. And the higher that you are and closer to the, you are to that pick, the more capital that you have to potentially trade into that spot. And you do have another second round pick this year because of that Sheldon Richardson trade. So I'm hoping for the highest pick possible. Um, but I will say, like, you know, we mentioned Kyle Fahey last week. I think that he's totally abandoned ship. I saw him post on Instagram. <laughs> Just period, win period, game period. I mean, how <laughs> that definitely says that he jumped ship. I saw another guy who, you know, he was saying something like this in the preseason, like, oh, um, you know, what's the point of the Jets winning any games this year? And then, you know, he, you know, you watch his tweets come Jets Patriots game day and, you know, <laughs> we're playing for first place in the division against the rival Patriots. So like, oh, like, I can't, I, I'm, I'm so proud of this team right now. Like a lot of people have abandoned ship and I guess it's somewhat understandable. Like you have a lot of young guys you know, they are at least playing hard. So that's something to hang your hat on. But it's not a good team. And don't let those three wins against terrible quarterback play skew your perception if you're a Jets fan, in my opinion. Well, I think it's really easy to admire you for sticking by that because, you know, we crave football for, what is it, eight months out of the year? I mean, when, when your season ends in December, you have to wait until September before you have, you know, real live games again. So it's it's, it's something that we all love so much. And to be able to put the long-term, you know, goal in mind is, is really a mature thing. And, and Fahey, bless his heart, he reminds me of me when I was that age too, just so just so eager and, and ready to see, you know, his team succeed. And and it really, really affects the way he feels and stuff. So it's, it's cool to see him that passionate and excited about it. But I'm with you. I think that staying around that top 10 level, and you know how I felt about Josh Allen, despite the fact that his college 
Uh, his season has not gone as planned this year, but I think that staying in that range puts you guys in position to maybe make a move on him. And, and that's something I don't want to see as a Dolphins fan because I think that if he develops and if you guys go out and you know find a new coach that is a quarterback-friendly type of coach, like an Adam Gaze type of guy, then you can really you know, develop that guy and make him into one heck of a player. And it would suck to see that as a Dolphins fan, but uh, that's, that's next year, Kyle. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about predictions. What's your, uh, what's your feeling on the score? Who wins the game and, uh, and why? I think the Dolphins are going to win this game. Um, not because of Jay Cutler, but because of that defense, by the way, I loved your piece that, uh, you know, the Dolphins defense isn't like Rome. It was built in a day. Yep. It was a good one, man. Uh, Thank you. By the way, Dolphins fans read that if you haven't. Um, it's shameless plug. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I think the Dolphins' defense will really keep them in this game. Uh, they really held the Jets down uh, only to 20 points. And honestly, if the Dolphins' offense was allowed to stay on the field longer, the Jets probably wouldn't have had the ball as much and probably wouldn't have scored as much. Um, I think the Dolphins have a really good home field advantage. You know, I think there's something to be said for the whole you know, temperature difference with the new stadium and how that's situated and stuff. But you know, the past couple of years, they've been good at home. So I'll say the Dolphins in this one. I don't think it'll be a very high-scoring game. I'll say 25 Dolphins and maybe 17 Jets. That sounds about right. I agree with you in terms of the way the game's going to be played. I think that it's going to be more of a ball-control game. And the Dolphins, they actually, for the first time last week, out uh, had more plays than their opponent, which is nice to see. They ran 67 offensive plays compared to the Falcons' 57. So the defense should be a little bit fresh. We had guys like Will Hayes and, and Jordan Phillips only taking like 20 snaps in the game. So they should be fresh coming back off that game. And they're even able to get Dominican Sue out of the game for only 80% compared to his normal 85% reps last week. So it's good to see those guys stay fresh. I think that they're going to, you know, continue to rotate those guys in, run the ball well. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, the possessions, here's a good stat that I put on Twitter. You may have seen it, Kyle. And I talked about it on the podcast a lot. It's talking about the last 12 possessions for the Dolphins, they have averaged 8.77 plays per drive. The previous 29 possessions prior to that, and that starts in the Jets game, the first Jets game, was 4.72 plays per drive. So they're doubling up their plays per drive, keeping the defense fresh, and it's, it's really working out for them. So I think good ball control. I think the fact that, you know, last year in game two, the, the game one between the Jets and Dolphins was close last year. Game two, I think you saw the coaching difference really kind of rear its head. And yeah, you guys had Bryce Petty. It's a big deal too. But I think that I'll take Adam Gaze over Todd Bowles any day. I think that that adjustment will really help the Dolphins and look at a win 23-13 to 13 is my prediction. 23-13, yeah. Like, I just, it's so tough to see the Jets creating anything on offense. You know, their offense is pretty basic and they just don't have the playmakers to really execute. The offensive line has been bad this year. They have created, you know, five out of six games, they've created nothing in the running game. And we have to have McCown drop back that often. He doesn't even have the weapons to really expose people. So I just can't really see them putting up much uh, points against this stout defense. Um, and Travis, if I may, uh, Dolphins fans out there listening to the podcast, write a review, man. You can get that PFF Edge subscription. I'm a Jets fan, and I wrote a review for the podcast, which I don't know why it hasn't been yeah. posted. Maybe it was too long. I don't know. But I've written I've written long reviews for other podcasts in the past. I'm going to try to submit it one more time, this time for my computer, and it better submit. But at the very least, I'll at least post my review to Twitter because – you deserve that recognition. This is a good podcast, Dolphins fans. If you're not listening to this consistently, what is your problem? You guys understand why I love this guy so much, even though he roots for the wrong shade of green. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on again, man. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. I had a blast. Me too, man. 
And there he goes, Kyle Smith, formerly of the AFC East Bros podcast. He is at AFC East Bros on Twitter. That's going to do it for today's show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating review, as Kyle had mentioned. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Check out LockdownDolphins.com for all those pieces we talked about. They're live up there right now. We'll be back on Monday with a recap edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast presented by MyBookie.ag, your daily dose for Dolphins football. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.